up, Oasis people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we are in a brand new series. Well, kind of, I guess it's week two. Feels new. And it's called You Are. And through this series, we are just teaching who we are and our identity in Christ. So if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back, check it out on YouTube or on podcast. But we're going to keep building from that. But before I get to that, anybody okay if I tell a Brennan High School story? <laughs> you are not, not sure what you're getting into. Okay. So I was a junior in high school. And... Slight flex, but I was always in accelerated math classes. Like, I don't know if you, like, from sixth grade on, they put me with all the, the brainiac kids when it came to numbers. I, I just, it kind of came natural to me. Like, I don't really, I didn't study hard, and nothing, nothing really was that impressive about it. But I did accelerated math sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth grade. And by the time I got to 11th grade, I was like, you know what? I feel like I deserve a break. High school, it's so hard. Like, I got all these classes. I I really just felt like I deserved an easier junior year. And so I stepped back from accelerated math and I took normal pre calc, which nobody wants to take pre calc in the history of pre calc. But I I didn't want to take the accelerated one because the teacher was kind of mean. He has ever had that. And so I was like, I will do anything to not do that. So I took just the normal pre calc. And because of that, it kind of set my attitude. Right, like I had always been with the accelerated kids. Like it had always been this in this uh, little bit more difficult. So when I joined normal pre-calc, I was like, ah, this is going to be a breeze. And it reflected in my actions. So I showed up on the first day of class and she was like, aren't you supposed to be an accelerated? And I was like, I am staying right, put, right here. And she tried to convince me, but I was fine. I was doing it. And so Tuesday through Thursday, I totally didn't listen. Like, I was usually a decent student, but I did not listen at all. I sat back. I called her bluff that what she was teaching wasn't important. I hung out with my friends. I messed around. I cheated on the homework. You guys get the gist. You know, I did the things, and then it came to Friday. And something happened to me that I truly only thought happened in movies. I got a pop quiz. Like, that actually happened to me in real life. Does anybody else, did you guys have pop quizzes? No, I didn't think they were real. I had gone through 10 years of school, never had a pop quiz. In pre-calc, my first week, it's like, come on, it's syllabus week. I'm still just chilling. Like, she gave us a pop quiz on Friday. She called my bluff. I took that test. It was somewhere between 10 to 15 questions. And I got it back, and I got a 30%. 30%. And I was like, oh. I told you last week, I care about my grades. Uh, I used to, at least. And, and I cared so deeply, and I started instantly panicking. <laughs> instantly panicking. We had taken one quiz. We had done no assignments. The only thing in the grade book was this 30%. It looked like I was failing. Honestly, I started to go into this mode where I started to calculate what I needed every single week for the rest of the year to get back to an A. I was like, how many points can I drop for the rest of the semester based on my first pop quiz? My whole life felt like it was unraveling. Like I was panicked in that class that day because if I didn't pass this class, then I wouldn't have the GPA I needed, then I wouldn't get into the school I wanted, and I wouldn't get the job I wanted, then I wouldn't have the family I wanted, and then I'd die alone. Like that was the escalating I went on off of one pop quiz. My whole life felt like it was falling apart because I made a series of mistakes. Now next week we came back, I grinded through some assignments, I studied for the pop quiz, I got 100%, come on, you know. And by week three I already had like an A again. But yet that feeling I had, it it clings with me sometimes. Because one mistake, one mistake made me feel like I was too far gone. Like I would never recover. And if I had to bet, I, I would guess someone in the room, maybe many of us in the room, we've had some feeling like that before. We've made the mistake and we all of a sudden we feel unlovable. Too far gone broken, disregarded, not worthy. 
Maybe for you, it simply was that one mistake, but that mistake, it feels like it defines your life. Others of us, it's maybe not just one mistake, but a life that feels like it's plagued by mistakes. And again, it's when we look at ourselves, we we look and we feel like we're just full of mistakes. The thoughts that run through our head are more about our brokenness and the fact that that we think about our failures and we forget the fact that we're forgiven. It's at this point, I want us to remember right at the beginning of this, that you are never too far gone to be loved and valued by God or by his people. You are never too far gone to be loved and valued by God or by his people. If you were to look around in this room, this is his people. You are not too far gone to be here tonight. Never. Now I want to do an experiment with you. If you have a Bible, flip it open. And land somewhere between the two covers. I honestly do not care where you land. Flip it open, jump into a section, look at the heading, maybe read a verse. Where did you land in your Bible? If you had a phone, scroll, click on the Bible app, thank Craig Rochelle, then, then read a little bit of the, the, the passage. What, what, what is it? What, what, what chapter did you land in? To be honest, I don't need to know. Because within a couple of pages of where you just landed, there's a story of a person who feels too far gone. I'm confident of it. I've, I flipped through it myself this week. That from cover to cover, this book is marked by people who feel too far gone for God's love and his purposes. Yet as we flip through it, those people are who God so frequently chooses to love and to use. Check this out. Moses, he's a murderer. David is a murderer and a rapist. Solomon, he sleeps around. Rahab is a prostitute. Ezekiel's depressed. Jonah's a coward. Matthew's greedy. Mark's a deserter. Paul's a villain. James, the brother of Jesus, rejected him. And Peter's the guy who never got it right. Cover to cover. We see these people who are failures. Yet this is the cast of the kingdom. These are the people we learn from. These are some of the examples we, we get of God's redemption. Redemption is simply being saved, freed, and healed from sin by God. That's what we're talking about tonight. This idea of redemption. And even as I've read you that list, I've done them and us a disservice. In reality, I just defined them by their brokenness, but that's not who they are. On each and every one of those names, there is a story on the other side of God's faithfulness and their response to God's faithfulness. They are not their brokenness. That does not define them. They are redeemed. And in Christ, you have been redeemed. In Christ, you are redeemed. You are no longer your mistakes. No longer your brokenness. No longer your baggage. No longer your flaws. The thing you feel like everybody notices about you. Your insecurities, your hurts, your pains, your past, your present. Those things do not define you. Last week we talked about you are a child of God, born again, made new. Tonight we're taking another step. Because we need to understand we are forgiven, cleansed, restored, and redeemed. Maybe this is something you've heard before. But as I do this life, I find there are so many of us that are living in a way contrary to the ideas we've heard. We're living like we're still just broken. And to be honest, we're all broken. 
right? Come on, can we take a deep breath in that? Just like, oh my goodness, everybody here, can we get on the same page? We are all broken. We make mistakes. I make mistakes. Like, that's part of being human. Some of us, we've made mistakes that are bigger than others. Some of us, it's Hobo Day weekend. We made mistakes that are more recent than others. Right? We've all made these mistakes. But you are not defined by the mistakes you've made. That is not who you are. Too many of us, we're still living out of that brokenness. We haven't grasped this, applied this, and learned this. So rather than let God tell us who we are, we let the people we've slept with define us. Is that too real for a Sunday night? Come on. Like, rather than let the nights we can't remember be our story, why don't we let God, the author of life, write it? Rather than the people we've hurt and broken and made mistakes against be our legacy, why don't we let God tell us who we are and our identity? This is the reality of the kingdom. Maybe those didn't apply to you, but some of us, we're we're living like where our identity is we are ruined instead of the fact that we are redeemed. We live in this brokenness, and maybe it's not something you've done, but something that's been done to you. If you've been abused, physically, emotionally, sexually, that's not who you are. It happened to you, and that sucks. But it is not who you are. If you feel like you have just lacked love, been overlooked, rejected, that is not who you are. We cannot let our identity be defined by how others have treated us. It's time to stop just seeing the brokenness, stop seeing the baggage, stop feeling unworthy, stop feeling like we aren't valued in community, and it's time to start living in our new identity. In Christ, you are redeemed. If you still have that Bible open in your lap, flip open to Genesis 3. And as you flip there, I am going to pray. So Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this gathering of your people. Thank you for your spirit. Would you pour your spirit out on us and lead us through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. If you're not familiar with the Bible, the passage of scripture I'm about to read you is not a happy story. So if you're feeling a little bit of the weight, we got we to gotta push through some of that. Because as I prepped this week, to be honest, I wrote a different message. And the panic set in when it came to a little bit later in the week than I'd like, and God started to rewrite the script on me. And he took me to Genesis 3, and I was like, God, come on. It's been a heavy week. It's been a tired week. Can we get something happy up in here? More Brennan stories in high school. More funny jokes. More Brennan saying stuff that he shouldn't say. You know, like, let's get some of that rolling. But he wanted us to go to Genesis 3 because it feels like tonight we need to start by addressing our brokenness. We need to get it out there. Let's talk about it. Let's address it. Let's recognize it. Because as we do this, I'm praying for some of us, it's a wake-up call for you. Because in reality, you're living like everything is fine. In that ignorance, it's not blessing you. That ignorance, it's leading you to a place where in in the future, maybe in the present, you are feeling, feeling consequences for the actions that you're taking. Not only that, the ignorance that you're living in will take you to an eternal destination you do not want to go. 
For others of you, you're well aware of your brokenness. You're relating more to the the first part of the message where all you can see is your brokenness. If that's the case, I'm praying that this is a diagnosis to the pain you've been experiencing. Anyone other have like a health thing go on where you just can't identify what it is? Ever had that happen? It's kind of been happening to me. I've been having like this weird chest thing go on. I'm trying to figure it out. I've been going, I've seen the doctor and I'm doing, my wife would like me to do less, but I've been, I'm doing a lot of like self-diagnosing. Uh-huh. But I went to the doctor and they tried to figure it out and I don't know if they exactly got it right, but it's frustrating, right? Because I can feel the pain, but I don't know the problem. I know there's something wrong, but without the, the problem in front of me, I can't find a solution. And for so many of us, the life we're living is like that. We feel the pain of our brokenness. It is a reality to us, but we don't know the problem, and so we can't solve the solution. We're stuck in this conundrum where we keep doing the things we don't want to do and experiencing the consequences, but there's no healing for us. If that is your story, tonight we are addressing the root of all brokenness. That is the, that is the cause that is sin. But it's in this place where we can start to heal. The first step in accepting our identity as redeemed is to recognize that we are sinners. Genesis 3 is titled The Fall. It takes place in the Garden of Eden after God had created everything perfect. I'm going to read it to you starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Here the serpent lies to the woman and he says, you will will certainly not die. For God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed some fig leaves together and they made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife, they heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God, he called to man, where are you? Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat eat with? (laughs) And the man, he blames the woman. He says, the woman you put here, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman, she blames the serpent. She says, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. From this, God will pronounce a series of curses on the serpent, the woman, and on Adam. Part of that curse is that they are banished from the Garden of Eden, that they used to walk hand in hand with God in the way you and I could walk in this place tonight. Physically, together, they could walk with God. But that relationship has changed And they no longer get to walk with God in the same way. And there is a reason for their punishment. They got banished. They can no longer walk with God in the same way. Because Adam and Eve, they brought sin into God's creation. 
a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how God is holy. And God in his holiness cannot be with the unholy. And so prior to their disobedience, they were clean, holy, pure. They were like God, perfect in the way that he created him. But yet in their sin, they broke creation. And all it took was one mistake, one sin, one act of disobedience. And that which was perfect is now marred. Genesis 1.26, they were made in God's image. They were like him, but now they're broken. That they ate fruit from a tree they weren't supposed to, and now they were unholy. And here's where we come in. When Adam and Eve disobeyed God, when they disobeyed God, they not only sinned for themselves, they brought sin into the picture for all of creation, including us. You and I, we are deeply impacted by the actions of our first parents, Adam and Eve. That we, we are created in God's image. We are meant to be like him, but now because of them, we are born with a brokenness. That our first ancestors, they messed it up for everyone. That it was one mistake, one apple, one pear, one fruit, whatever you want to call it, but that messed up everything. And theologically, we call this humanity's sin nature. Humanity's sin nature. Let's break that down. Humanity simply means all people. That there is no one who is outside the bounds of this curse. No one who gets off from sin. Sin, that word, the second word in this definition, it has a lot of different options, but simply we'll just put sin as anything that goes against God and against his ways. For Adam and Eve, it looked like eating from a tree that they weren't supposed to. For you and I, it can be anything that separates us from God. And finally, nature, this last word, it's a word used to describe the basic and inherent features of something. Examples of this is, you maybe heard growing up, you were athletic by nature. That yeah, there could have been some training and some development, some practice, some hard work you put in, but from the very time you were born, you were gifted. You could run, jump, kick, throw. You were strong and agile and flexible. That when you came and you were, you were born, you were athletic. It just happened to you. Maybe for you it's not athleticism, but from, from nature, from, from your earliest days, you've been shy. <laughs> that you were the kid who didn't hang out with any other kids at the daycare. You were the kid who didn't like interacting with the other parents or the other people. And you were just, you've always been reserved. And, and maybe through nurture or, or different training or practices, you've come out of your shell a little bit or you've been, become okay with your shyness. But from the earliest days, you can remember by nature... You were shy. And the sad part is by nature, all people are sinful. It's who we are. It's how we've been born. From the earliest days, this is part of what it means to be human. And I don't like that reality. Right? That is, that is a huge bummer. I told you I didn't want to read Genesis 3. But it's part of what it means to be human in this world. And it's at this point, some of you, you might be feeling offended. Let me tell you, the gospel is offensive because it starts here. You might sit back and you'd be like, this brain guy, he doesn't know me. He's never hung out with me. He couldn't tell me my name. He, he doesn't know me. Who is he to stand up on a stage and tell me I'm a sinner? And you might be right. I don't know you. But I know your history. It's the same as mine. It's written right here. 
we all trace our roots back to the same garden. We are all sinners. Beyond Genesis, the scriptures will teach this idea over and over. Isaiah 53, for we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. In the New Testament, Paul in Romans 3 says, for we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Besides being offended, others of you, you've maybe gained clarity on the things that you do. Right? We started in this tension where it's like, I do these things that I actually don't want to do and I don't know how to get over that hump. I haven't found the healing. That you make these mistakes and you keep going back to this brokenness, but you don't want that, but yet you keep doing it. Right? You went back to that person you know wasn't good for you, but it was in that place where you, the brokenness felt comfortable, and so you went back. You promised the significant other you wouldn't go too far, but it happened again. You said you weren't going to drink too much or you weren't going to smoke that again, but here we are. You weren't going to click on that site or view those, view, or check out those videos or dehumanize those people, but you did. And when you feel that, when you do that, it's at that point you start to wrestle with what Paul was talking about in Romans 7. You're starting to see the impact of humanity's sin nature. Now I'm going to read you 10 verses from Romans 7, but as I do, mentally prepare yourself. In a lighthearted way, I'll tell you, I call this Paul's do-do list. (laughs) You will see why in a second. So focus in. This is a hard text to read. It's a hard text to hear. So Romans 7, starting in verse 14. We know that the law is spiritual. But I, I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do, if, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And it is no longer I who myself do it, but the sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? I want to focus on that question. Paul asks asks it, but really I hope we ask it. For if we have sinned, if we are sinners, if we are broken, if there's something in all of us that makes us the way we are, what is the answer? What can we do? How can we fix it? You can't. Nothing. Nothing will fix the situation we find ourselves in. You can't try hard enough, pray enough, come to church enough. You will not intellectually smart your way out of this. You are not strong enough or smart enough or savvy enough or skilled enough. There is nothing we can do to get ourselves out of the situation we find ourselves in. And that... That is why God did. That is why God did. Romans 7, Paul finishes, he asks that question, but he also answers it. He says, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? He responds, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
When we couldn't fix ourselves, God saved us through his son. God has redeemed you. Earlier, I didn't read you all that was there in Isaiah or Romans because I didn't want to spoil it. But Isaiah 53, it finishes like this. For we all are are like sheep who have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 3, 23, turning over to 24, says, For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You are redeemed. You are redeemed. Adam and Eve, they broke all of creation. Yet Jesus, in his kindness, he fixed it. That's the beauty of the situation we now find ourselves in. Made holy, made righteous, justified, sanctified through Jesus. Romans 5, verse 19 says, For just as through the disobedience of one man the many were made sinners, that's Adam, so also through the obedience of one man the many will be made righteous. That's Jesus. Just one action in Eden, it broke all of creation. But one marvelous action on the cross redeemed it. You have a new identity in Christ. You are redeemed. And in many ways, this just gives us a fighting chance again. That some of us were starting to recognize this sin nature, but many people don't. And so they're constantly trying to fight this uphill battle to just survive in this world, to do the good things, but they have this brokenness inside of them that it's like the deck is stacked against them. But for us, we get on the level playing field again. Because with Christ, we have a chance. We've been made clean. But what do we do with this new identity? What do we do with it? We continue to write a story of redemption. That where Jesus has stepped into your story, there is not a period there, but a comma. It is not the end of your story with Jesus, but yet just the beginning. And so I want you to picture this for me. Picture like a disgusting pond, like the the nastiest pond you can picture. Maybe it's Larson Park. If you've ever frothed there, you know what I'm talking about. Like a pond that is so gross, it's got green all over the top. It reeks from like hundreds of yards away. You, you know you're coming up on it. There's, there's frogs and flies and it's just disgusting. Like you would never in a million years get into that pond. Now imagine you get in the pond. Get in the pond and you reach down and, and from the bottom you pick up a rock. And I don't know if you've ever touched the bottom of a nasty pond like that, but it smells worse on the bottom. And you pick up that rock and it's covered with the slime. It's just disgusting. Like, I, I'm, I'm grossed out even thinking about this rock that I'm touching. It's just, it's covered in filth and moss and grossness. It, it reeks so bad. You've you got to take a shower the second you, you let this rock go. But instead, you decide to clean it. And you scrub it. You give the elbow grease to it. You get a brush. You, 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 you add the soap. You get the hot water. You get a bucket. You do everything you could possibly do. You sacrifice so that this rock can be made clean. But yet, in this illustration, the rock has to go back to the dirty water. And that's the imagery of redemption. That you and I, in Christ, we have been made a clean stone, yet we have to go back to the dirty water. That we only get one humanity, one world, one place to live, and in that there is brokenness. So you may be made redeemed, but you've got to go back to a family that's all kinds of messed up. And you might be redeemed, but you've got to step back into a friend group where they have no idea what it looks like to love like Jesus. And you might be redeemed, but you step into classrooms and workplaces where every single person around you is broken. And so you end up as a clean stone back in dirty water. 
And it's there where part of being redeemed is letting Jesus continue to do the ongoing work of redemption in your life. To let him continue what only, to do what only Jesus can do. And this is a past, present, and future reality. In the past, we all have brokenness. We've been there, we've done that, we've talked about it. But God wants to heal all the wounds we've experienced in the past. Every single one. That the thing you're thinking about right now that you don't, you probably maybe haven't even told anybody, God wants to redeem that. Last week I shared some of my past struggles with not feeling chosen. In friend groups, and relationships, in different places, I just didn't always feel chosen as a person. And as I shared that, there is a temptation for me to step back and to throw that away. Like it's easy for you to think, oh, it's easy for him. To, it's not. That was a hard part of my life. And so it's really, really easy for me to just set that aside, to put the band-aid on it, to bury it and push it down, to just try to forget about it, to move on. That's the temptation because why it's easier. But I'm recognizing that God truly wants to heal that. That that brokenness I brought to you as a redeemed person, he wants me to step into that brokenness and let him transform it like only he can. Last week, I shared that not as a wound that's still open and festering, but no, as a wound that has now scarred and it is healed. A wound that has been transformed. I know who I am. I know I am chosen. I know I am redeemed. And so I can stand up here confidently and say that. But what was a wound, God has healed, and that scar is still with me. It always will be. It doesn't go away. That's not how scars worked. But yet, that's part of my redemption story. The hurt I've experienced is actually the thing that God is bringing healing to others through. Right? This is amazing. I I shared this story up here. I kind of got to pour out a little bit of my brokennesses. And I sat with a couple people this last week who said, you know what, same. I haven't always felt chosen. I've felt rejected. I've felt hurt. I've felt unworthy. I've felt unvalued. That came about because I was able to stand up here and use my source of platform and influence to speak into other people's lives. And your platform and your influence might not look like this, but you still have the space to speak into other people's lives. And I pray you would use your scars as a part of the story that God is telling. That's redemption. But we can't hide these scars. Jesus didn't. After his resurrection, he appears to his disciples in John 20. And here, he says, and here it says, Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, was one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came the first time. So the other disciples, they told them, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were, and unless I put my hand on his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples were again in that same house and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out, touch my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas then responds, my Lord, my God. I've always been fascinated by this encounter because my definition of of, of redemption seems to be a little bit different than God's. That I can sometimes get confused And think when God redeems, he takes away all the scars. And so I see this encounter and I start to get frustrated. Like Jesus has the scars that marked his crucifixion. He has a perfect, redeemed, uh, resurrected body, but yet the holes are still in his hand. Where the spear pierced his side, it's still there. 
That the thing that marked the most painful, most excruciating, most suffering moment of Jesus' life, he now has daily reminders where he can look at his hands and he can remember that brokenness. And so I get confused and I think, God, why didn't you take away the scars? But look at how Thomas believed. Thomas saw these scars and thought, only God can redeem. My Lord and my God is his response. This posture of worship. That God's redemption, it leaves some scars to glorify himself. So yeah, we're redeemed. But we got to let God step in and heal the wounds of our past. Have you been abused, neglected, forgotten, or mistreated? Have you been the person who has done those things? Let God heal that and use your scar as a testimony for what only he can do. Finally, there are, next there's a present. And as a clean stone dropped back into a dirty pond, there's a temptation we all feel. And it's to go back to the brokenness. Back to the place, back to sink back into the hole that we just came from. There's a quote that I found this week when it says, when brokenness is all we've known, healing feels wrong. I've only ever felt broken is what people think. And so finally, when we get healing in Jesus, it honestly feels like nothing I've ever experienced. And sometimes we choose to go back to the filth, back to the sin, back to the thing that Jesus just paid his life to deliver us from. We find ourselves right back in it. But as redeemed people, you have a choice to not go back to the brokenness. We talked about it last week, but as a child of God, you now are born again and empowered with the Spirit to live a new life without the continual practice of sin. And if you do, you have a future that lays in front of you that's miraculous. The future that lays before everyone as a redeemed person is limitless. You are redeemed. You now have healed scars to testify to it. You have a life walking with Jesus. You have a future plan that has kingdom potential that is off the charts. I started with this list and I want to finish with it. Check this out. Moses is a murderer who leads thousands out of slavery. David is a murderer and a rapist who becomes the greatest king to ever lead. Solomon sleeps around, yet he builds the temple for God. Rahab is a prostitute whose story is told among the legends in Hebrews. Ezekiel is depressed, yet he brings hope to a nation in the midst of darkness. Jonah is a coward who turns the nation of Nineveh back. Matthew is greedy and marks a deserter, yet they wrote the Bible. Paul is a villain, but he becomes the greatest missionary of all time. James is the brother who rejected Jesus, yet he gets to lead the church in Jerusalem, which is the hub of all movement in the New Testament. And finally, Peter. Peter is the guy who never got it right, yet he becomes the rock on which God builds his church. I'll invite the team up. The possibilities of what God can do through the people he's redeemed are limitless. That same truth goes for us who have been redeemed by Christ. The future that lays before you in God's kingdom is unbelievable. And so, yeah, you are redeemed. You are never too far gone. You are valued here and you are welcome in our place. God has a purpose and he has a plan for you. But I want to ask you this. What's your story? What's your story? Who have you been? What's happened to you? Who are you now? How are you living in that? What's, what's your story right now? But also who will you become? 
Who will you be as Christ redeems you, empowers you, loves you, cares for you, transforms you, and sends you out to be that to all of his people? What will be your story? Pray with me. Father, thank you tonight for your word. Man, it's so good. Thank you for the truth of the scripture. Thank you that we as a community can wade into some of the heaviness. But on the other side of that coin, on the other side of that brokenness, God, there is redemption for each and every one of us. So, Father, would you lead us in that? Would we accept that, that that brokenness? I pray that we would feel it tonight. Maybe right now in this moment, that thing that maybe we've never told anybody, maybe it's that thing that happened to us that we just never can forget. It it just runs itself through our minds. It marks each and every moment of our life. God, if if that's a a reality for someone tonight, God, bring that up but not for the sake of shame or pain or anxiety or depression. God, only for the sake of your redemption and your healing. God, for those of us who we have been wounders, we have hurt, we have broken others, we have, we have scars on our hands for the, the pain we've inflicted. Would you help us to forgive ourselves? Because you have. To let us live as new and redeemed people. And Father, would you write a story in our lives that is so much greater than we can even begin to imagine. We love you tonight. We respond to you in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.